woke up this morning with hope and desperation. Maybe today I'll find some inspiration. Welcome, everyone, to the Even in Death podcast. This is Dave Diller, and I am super glad to be with you. On this podcast, we are going to be talking about all the things that encompass this life, from joy to pain, to beauty to loss, to creativity, and to those moments where we feel completely stuck. That's life, all of it, the fullness, the paradox, and we are tasked to breathe it deep, to live it fully, and to express our truest self for this one shot we have living in this world. So keep listening, keep participating, and most importantly, keep showing up. Glad you're here. Yes, 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 you made it. Episode two of the Even in Death podcast, or episode two for all my friends who come from Sverige. Yeah, that's what a uh, year of Swedish gets you at a private liberal arts institution of higher learning. Broken Swedish. Anyhow, as we keep rolling on this Even in Death podcast, I want to just talk briefly about some of the feedback that I heard uh, since episode one, and it was super encouraging. Friends, thank you uh, for the shout outs, for the emails, for the text messages that you shared. One of the text messages I got is from a friend who listened in, and he said, Dave, really appreciated the Even in Death podcast. And then he gave me this. He said, don't take any advice from me. Do your thing. It's fantastic. Now, I share that with you, um, not out of some sort of personal edification or lifting myself up. I'm sharing that because I want to be like that person who sent me that text message. I want to be the kind of person that looks out at others, that sees their uniqueness, the things that they're trying to bring to the surface, and then says, don't listen to anybody else. Just do you. Share whatever's on your mind, on your, on your heart. Share uh, the art within. Share that creativity. Share the way you see the world, that unique perspective, because we all need it. And don't listen to anyone else. Don't let it be tamed. Uh, don't let it be caged, but instead bring that you to the surface. Imagine if we could be the kind of people that lived in this world that helped excavate whatever it is that each one of us has within. So I was super encouraged by those words, but also challenged to then be that kind of person. Can we do that for one another? Oh, I sure hope so. Another friend sent me an email and said, Dave, after I listened to episode one of the podcast, I decided to go for a run and it seemed fitting that I put on the 1991 Metallica song from their black album, The God That Failed. Now, The God That Failed is a song that James Hedfield wrote in which he deals with the loss of his mother. His mother refused cancer treatment, believing that her faith would heal her. Now, regardless of what you think about the divine or religion or different sort of ideologies, uh, before we even go there, I want to talk about what I love that this song brings to surface. This song is, is pure frustration, sadness. It, it's full of anger and, and, and really a nihilistic meaningless to life. 
And it's this slow burn, this build. It's as if there's this indictment on the divine. And what I love about this song, The God That Failed, I'm not looking for theology in this song. What I love is that it's honest. The divine, my friends, has large enough shoulders. Cast your cares, your worries, and your burdens. Can we be honest? Or do we feel the need to hold and hide our truest thoughts and feelings? Maybe we hold and hide our truest thoughts and feelings because we judge them as inappropriate. We judge them as not being the right thoughts or the right feelings or that we shouldn't think that way. But what if we could be truly free to express and to feel whatever we need to feel and whatever we need to think without fear? And I will tell you, this is the greatest gift the divine and the author of life gives all of us. The freedom to think and feel and be without judgment, without condemnation. And so perhaps then this is the best thing that you can do is to take off the mask and allow yourself to be seen. Even if you think it isn't beautiful, even if you think your thoughts aren't right, even if you think you shouldn't be mad or upset at whatever it is that you're mad and upset about, maybe the best gift you can give yourself is to take off the mask, allow yourself to feel and allow yourself to be seen so that you can be truly known. And just as this is the greatest gift I believe we can offer ourselves, this is also the greatest gift that we can give someone else. It is the space for them to be their authentic self without fear of judgment. Oh, so awesome. And so maybe this week as you go on about your day at work or at school and you're having thoughts and feelings that come up, and, and that running commentary begins to kick in. The one that tells you what you should think and what you should feel, that you shouldn't feel that way, you should feel that way. Now I'm feeling bad because I feel this and it's not okay. And it's all these judgment thoughts about our feelings. Maybe the greatest thing you can do this week is just let that running commentary go. And just be in whatever feeling that you're in without the need to judge it or to try to get through it or cast it aside. And maybe what will happen is in that process, you'll realize not only that you're not alone, that you can be seen and that you can be heard, but you'll also realize you're okay. That it's all okay. That it's always been okay. Oh, what a gift. What a gift. And so as we keep moving along in episode two, I'm calling this one name tags and hairnets because I want to talk about our work. (laughs) 
every time I hear that theme song, it just brings the biggest smile to my face. I absolutely love The Office. And, well, I got to give a quick shout out to my son, Caleb, who um, I think he's watched uh, the entire series of The Office like eight times. It's, it's completely ridiculous, um, but I love it. And, and what's there not to love? I mean, you've got Jim and Pam and um, the oddity of Creed. What in the world? And then uh, Dwight, of course, um, the pranks that get pulled between Jim and Dwight. And then Michael's bizarre insecurities that makes everyone feel awkward, but you still can't help but love him. Oh, so great. So our work. Our job. What was your first job? Was it babysitting? Uh, Maybe it was working in a fast food restaurant. Maybe your parents owned a construction company and you worked alongside various construction workers learning a trade. What was your first job? Well, my first job was working at one of my favorite places on earth, Toys R Us. Now, what's kind of funny about this was that I got hired, but I never actually even worked an hour or stepped foot on the salesroom floor. I'd gotten into orientation with all the new hires who were going over a list of policies and procedures, and then the manager told us that we were going to be taking a drug test. Now, what's so bizarre and funny about this was that uh, I, I wasn't using drugs at the time or anything like that, but when the manager said that he was going to be passing out plastic cups and we need to excuse ourselves, go to the bathroom and bring back a sample of our urine. I completely flipped out. Like something within me broke. It just didn't make sense. I mean, this was like going to Oz and then seeing behind the curtain and realizing the wizard didn't exist. This was uh, everything that I had built up in my mind of what the toy store would be like. It, 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 It couldn't be reduced to a place where I would go in a back room and pee in a cup to see if I'd been smoking. Like this was absolutely bizarre and it was too much for my 16 year old brain to handle. It was like a loss of innocence in that moment. And so I had that cup handed to me. I walked into the restroom and I couldn't do it. I turned around and walked back up to that manager. I handed him an empty cup and I just said, I'm sorry, I'm out. And I left. (laughs) That was it. I just, oh, Toys R Us. So that was the first place that I worked. Uh, and then I went somewhere else, um, never got a paycheck from Toys R Us, uh, but then I went on and I got a job at Foot Locker. That's right, I was wearing zebra stripes and selling Michael Jordans. Super cool. Uh, I actually enjoyed it for the time period that I worked there, um, and then that was short-lived, like anybody's you know, first couple of jobs. Uh, so then I got a job at Burger King. Anybody else uh, out there working at Burger King or have worked at McDonald's or a fast food chain? And what's funny is people would tell me, they would say, hey, now after working at Burger King, are you just totally grossed out by by like their food? Like, would you ever eat there? And my reply was, uh, actually, I, I, I really like it. Um, I like their frame broiled burgers. Uh, and, I, and I totally enjoyed it. It was a perfect job for a 16-year-old kid. It was close to my house. I could drive there. Um, and there was something about sliding around on the greased floor in the back and making sandwiches uh, that, I don't know, seemed to make sense to me. Um, but one of the most peculiar oddities was that one of our managers, 
uh, who, uh, when we would close at night, uh, we, we were left like cleaning the fryers and, and, you know, emptying out trash and all that sort of stuff. He, he would sit in the back office drinking Miller Lite and watching episodes of Faces of Death on VHS. I mean, how completely bizarre and unokay is that? Totally bananas. Upon further reflection, I don't think that my manager at Burger King was in the healthiest of places, uh, but that's neither here nor there because once I finished working at Burger King, I, well, I actually heard that I could get a quarter more, a quarter more, which is a big deal to a 16-year-old kid back in the early 90s. I decided I was going to go work at The Gap. Yeah, I know. The Gap, oh yes, uh, blue jeans and flannels and all that great stuff. Um, uh, worked at The Gap, I, I actually really enjoyed it. The Gap was good to me. And, you know, there was something awesome about working in the mall. You know, to a kid who grew up in the 80s and then was in high school in the 90s, the shopping mall was the epicenter of all things uh, teenage, you know, it's like where teenage culture would converge, uh, you were, where you would, uh, meet kids from other schools and it was just like your own world. And so to be able to work there, I mean, you know, can I get a shout out to the movie mall rats? Anyone? Yeah. I mean, just, if you don't know what, um, the shopping mall was like, um, to us back in the eighties and nineties, please do yourself a favor and go watch mall rats and you will totally understand. So I digress again, uh, the gap, I loved it. It was good to me. Um, I liked the idea of being around people. Um, I liked the idea of, of talking with them and, and just, you know, helping them find, I guess, whatever blue jeans fit them best. Oh my gosh. So where was it that you worked? What were your jobs like? What were your bosses and managers like? What were the kind of things that you learned? Uh, maybe they were good things that you learned. Maybe they were not good things. Maybe it was a, a work ethic. Maybe it was a way of treating and managing people. But what was it about your work, about your jobs? What did it teach you about life? What did it prepare you for? How has it shaped part of who you are today? And how about now? What is your relationship today like with work, with, with the job? Maybe you've got a great job. Maybe it's something that you're totally enlivened by and it hits on all of your cylinders and, and you love it. You love the people you work with. You love uh, the vision of the company. You love uh, your manager, uh, what, what, whatever it happens to be, and you're thrilled by it. Um, maybe uh, you're just like biding your time un un until you can be done with work. Maybe you've been with a company for like 20 years and you're like a prisoner just putting notches every day on that concrete wall going, I can't wait till I'm done with this. And it's just a means to an end and, and you're miserable. You're just sucking it up. You're, you're just every day between nine and five, you're just trying to get through it. Longing for the weekend, longing for a break and you just don't care. Maybe um, you, you look at your work life and it, and it feels like it's just ebbed and flowed and, and it's been one job to the next and there's never been a real great synergy around your job. Um, 
and that's been frustrating for you. Maybe you don't have a job and and you're really looking for one and um, it's got you concerned. It's got you worried. It's got you nervous because there are all of these grown up responsibilities you have to take care of and you're wondering how you're going to be able to do that. Um, maybe you don't work. Maybe you don't have a job. Uh, maybe your spouse or someone you live with um, is the one that that works and, and brings in the income. And then you're doing other things um, throughout the day, uh, whether it's for the house or just in general. And maybe you love that. Maybe, though, that's also really hard because there's a, a piece of you, a voice within that says, I should be doing something. I should be contributing a certain way. And, and um, maybe you struggle um, with work in that kind of way. Uh, so what is it now? What is your relationship now like with work? And as people, our relationship with work collectively has changed over the years, the decades, the centuries. It used to be that we lived on the land, you know, settlers and farmers, and it was never necessarily about um, some sort of individual personal fulfillment. Um, it was about making sure we had enough to eat. It was about making sure we harvested enough for wintertime. It was about survival. We worked uh, the land so that we could live. And then it was the Industrial Revolution, and uh, we contributed um, to all different kinds of things, to corporations. We um, contributed so that we could maintain a certain level of standard of living. That's what we wanted. We wanted ease and comfort. Um, it was seen as, as something um, wonderful that when the spouse could stay home while the other spouse went to work. Like that was the ideal. But then that has changed. And now we want um, something where we find meaning. Uh, where it's not just about the money that we make, right? I mean, but, but we want to be about something bigger than ourselves. And the pursuit of something bigger than ourselves in our jobs and our work is totally epitomized in the 1992 film Wayne's World. I know, I know, but Wayne's World, come on! Where, like Mike Myers, he plays Wayne Campbell, this emerging adult that hosts a local cable access TV show with his best friend Garth. And they're in Wayne's basement uh, on the couch where they talk about nothing, right? Like he has his guitar and, you know, it's just, it's like a free flow of thoughts. They're talking about music and, and supermodels and they talk about whatever is on their mind. And that's his dream to do Wayne's World for a living. My name is Wayne Campbell. I live in Aurora, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Excellent. I've had plenty of Joe jobs. Nothing I'd call a career. Let me put it this way. I have an extensive collection of name tags and hairnets. Okay, I still live with my parents, which I admit is both bogus and sad. But at least I've got an amazing cable access show. And I still know how to party. But what I'd really love is to do Wayne's World for a living. It might happen. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. <laughs> Wayne's World. Oh my gosh. The great uh, philosopher Wayne Campbell. Uh, monkeys might fly out of my butt. Uh, man, that was that was like on t-shirts and a bumper sticker back in the 90s. Um, excellent. Uh, and then how about the phrase, not 
like every time, you know, somebody you, you'd like sarcastic. Uh, hey, you look really great in that. Not. Oh, man, that totally defines an era. Too funny. So uh, Wayne Campbell, right? Like he, he's doing this um, cable access show. He's got all these different jobs, but he knows what he wants to be about. He wants to do this show for a living. That's his dream. That's his goal. Some might even say that is his calling. Yeah, the word calling. That evokes all different kinds of things, doesn't it? Calling, it's something that is bigger than who we are, than our job. Um, it's almost as if the, the divine or, or God or the universe has something in store for us, something we were put on earth to do. And it's our job, number one, to figure out what it is. And then number two, to do it, to live out that calling. And so if a job is something that we do for money, for survival, because we have to, then calling is this belief that we were here for a higher purpose, um, that there's something that is meant for each one of us uniquely to do that we can only fulfill ourselves. Now, I think a lot of us love that idea of calling. Um, but I can also say that I, I think for me at times that idea of calling creates and promotes a great deal of stress and anxiety. Like it feels good to know, you know, I'm unique and special and there's just something only for me, uh, that this life has for me and it's my job to find it and then live it out. Um, I mean, it's really romantic in so many ways, but also it creates a lot of stress. I mean, what if, what if I don't find my calling? Well, what if there is one true calling for each of us and I don't find it? Then, then I'm just destined to be miserable. Then it's like some cosmic joke, some cosmic trick where um, God is like this prankster um, that's always elusive and evasive and, and um, we're the butt of a cosmic joke. And, and, and if I can't find out my calling, then I'm destined for a life of inferiority, of, of meaninglessness, of being miserable and unfulfilled. And so having the idea of a calling can at times produce anxiety. What if I miss it? What if I don't get it right? Or maybe even worse, what if I find my calling and it's too late? What if I miss the signpost? What if the ship has sailed? Oh, I had my shot and now it's gone. And so I think the terms job and calling exist on this spectrum together. That on the far left-hand side, you have the word job, and it is just about um, the means to the end. It, it is the mere survival of, of providing for oneself. Um, th there's no greater arching meaning connected to it. It's about uh, bread on the table. It's about money in the bank. Um, it is just about, you know, doing your job and you, and not asking bigger uh, philosophical questions of what it means. Um, and, and that provides a whole host of problems uh, because it can lead to lives that feel um, aimless, rudderless, and meaningless. Uh, but then on the other side, on the other side of the spectrum, on the far right-hand side, you've got that term calling. Um, and this sounds um, more attractive, right? I mean, it's like God or the divine uh, has reached out in some kind of mythological kind of 
mysterious way and, and uh, provided each one of us with this um, unique thing that we are on earth to do and, and, and we need to find it. And once we find it, we live into it and, and we're utterly fulfilled. And, and that sounds great, right? I mean, especially in lieu of what job means. Um, but as we just talked about, it can lead to all different other kinds of things anxiety and depression and what if I don't find it and, and, and am I really pursuing my one calling? So there's got to be a better way. There's got to be another word um, that we can use. And, and really, uh, I, I want to redefine a word that we've been using throughout the podcast. It's the word work. I believe we all have a work that we are supposed to be about and that we do. And so maybe another way to put it is like this. If, if job is just about human effort and calling is then about a divine appointment, well, then our work, it's about collaborating with the divine that is already at play in the world. In essence, you do a job. We struggle to find a calling. But... We live into our work. And I believe that once we grasp this, that once we see this, it changes everything for what we do in this world. Because it means that we no longer look for some kind of vocation or job to give us a sense of satisfaction, a sense of meaning. It's that we begin to realize there is meaning around us everywhere. And we're invited to it. We get to step to it and we get to bring all that we are, all that's been built and hardwired into us. We get to bring that to the show, to life. And I know some of us are then thinking, okay, so, so how do I do this? What does that look like for me? I mean, I am in a job I don't like, or uh, I wish I had a job I like, and this sounds really great and, and all that, but pragmatically, how does this even work? Well, I want to tell you that there are no, there's no magic formula. There's no magic beans. Um, but I, I want to offer a few questions for you to think about, for you to consider, that I think can really help us um, live into and lean into our work, where we collaborate with the divine that's already at play. I think the first question uh, that we need to be asking of ourselves on a regular basis is really simple and profound. Who am I? Who am I? My talents, my skills, my passions, What are my unique perspectives? For some of us, this might be a difficult question and we might get stuck here because for some of us, we may look in the mirror and we may not like what we see. We may have experienced some sort of abuse when we were younger or even as an adult where we hear voices in our mind that tell us all the things that we should have done or should be. We see all of our failures and inadequacies. It's like it's on a constant loop in our head and we are always telling ourselves that we're not enough. And so I want to remind you today that you are not what has happened to you, that you are not 
what you've done or what someone has done to you. But instead, you are a once in a lifetime expression of the divine in this world with a God-given spark that has something unique to offer and contribute to this life. Something that we need to hear. Something that makes this world better. Who am I? This is a question we need to keep asking ourselves. Because once we're rooted and we understand who it is that I am, then I get to step forward in confidence in whatever life happens to be presenting me with. And I get to engage with my fullest self, with my work. And then I get to ask the second question, where am I? Maybe another way to put it is, what invitation is life giving me? Like the question of who am I that we just asked, asking where am I can be an equally terrifying question to consider. Because when we reflect on where it is that I am, we may not like the answer. We might find that we're feeling alone or afraid. We might find that we're feeling stuck. We might find that we're feeling lost. We might find that we're feeling bored and that just life is on a constant groundhog day loop. The same old, same old. And we might hate where we are. We might be going through some really difficult and challenging things right now. We might not know the way out of a situation that we're currently dealing with with a family member. And so thinking about where it is that I am... We want to be anywhere but here. And yet this is the place where we have to be on guard and pay attention, where we have to be awake, because if we're not careful, if we're asleep at the wheel of life, when we find ourselves in a place that we do not want to be in, instead of taking inventory, we will do whatever we can to just grind through it. We'll ignore warning signs. We'll ignore the people around us. We may, may even medicate through it. And we'll find ourselves looking for external validation. If I could only get here, then life would be better. If I could only have a job that did this for me, then I would be happy. I would be joyful. I would be my best self. And yet, because we're looking for a job or some sort of outward validation to fulfill us, we never find what we're looking for. We're never validated. We're never fulfilled. We're never enlivened. And we're never full of joy. And it may not be in our jobs. It might be in our relationships. Where this person doesn't quite always give us what we think they should be giving us. And instead of looking for ways in which we can bring our fullest self to the relationship, we are keenly aware that the relationship is not providing for us. And so we become relationship vagabonds moving from one person to the next.
And so what does this have to do with a job or with work? Well, don't you see, it was never about a job or a vocation or what we do in our nine to five. It was never about that in the first place. It's about who we are and what life is asking of us and how we get to engage in this life where and whenever we find ourselves. It's about stepping into our fullest self when life seems to be offering all kinds of wonderful things. And it means stepping into our full self when we're afraid and when life feels small. That is our work. Our work is to continue to show up with all that we've been given, with all that's inside of us, and offer it to contribute to this unfolding life to this invitation, because no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what jobs we have, no matter what relationships we're in, life is always inviting us to be our true self. And so now may you, regardless of your nine to five, regardless of the name tag you wear during the week. May you see each and every day as an invitation to step into this life with your fullest self and share it with everyone that it would usher in more beauty, more creativity, and more love. Grace and peace, friends. (laughs) 